I just want to welcome everyone again uh, to Mosaic, and if you're here and you're new, uh, my name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been going through a series in the book of Hebrews uh, together, and today, actually, I was supposed to preach on a totally different part of Hebrews, I was supposed to preach on Jesus the High Priest, but on the way to that passage, because we can't preach on every verse in Hebrews, it just would take too much time. But on the way to my assigned passage, um, I couldn't get past today's passage. I couldn't get past Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Um, and I was arrested by this passage on my way to my assigned text. And I want to share a little bit about why. Uh, you know, I've been struggling with anxiety uh, for quite some time. Um, personally, I've been struggling with it. And it's been strange because I do wake up a lot of mornings with kind of this very indistinct, kind of vague, shadowy anxiety. And I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I look at my life and I, and I say, there's nothing big wrong with my life. There's nothing big and scary coming up, but why is it that I often wake up with this vague ball of worry in my gut? And I sometimes wonder if there's something wrong with me and if it's just me. Um, but that's been my struggle for quite some time, and it could feel very lonely um, sometimes. And so I just wanted to ask, does that resonate with anyone? Does anyone else feel like that every once in a while? You don't know why you live worried but lots of hands went up. And so if that's you too, um, just kind of rest assured with me that you're not alone in this. But my journey often is to come with my worry before God in the mornings. And I have to go down to my office and get down on my knees and bring my heart into submission to him. Because I often come in the morning with this great ball of worry. And guess what? I'm afraid to tell people about it because I'm a pastor. And I feel like if I tell you that I struggle with worry, that you will think me faithless. And now I'm worried about the way that you think about me. And I'm worried about you thinking about me worrying. And I'm worrying more. And I'm kind of stuck in this cycle. But, you know, I'm telling you, I struggle with this. I struggle with anxiety. And um, it's slavery and it's not rest. And that's why on my way to my assigned passage, I got stuck and arrested by this passage because this passage talks today about rest. And I was just, I just felt like there was something here for me. And if there's something here for me, maybe there's something here for you. And so I mined today's passage uh, for the treasures that God had for me. And I just want to share that with you today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Hebrews 4 verses 1 to 11. I want to warn you that this is not immediately the most uh, easy passage to understand, but after we go through it slowly, I'll try to summarize um, what I think that it's saying. So this is Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11. Please give your attention to the reading of God's awesome and really deep word. He says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. I read that, I was like, oh, rest, right? For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who had listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, He appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's a promise right there. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. What I, I know that that's not immediately the clearest passage, and so I want to kind of summarize for you what I saw in here. He's saying, by God's grace, he established a Sabbath divine rest for us, but the wilderness generation, they missed it. They, they missed it, and they couldn't, enter into it because they couldn't believe in it, okay? But this rest is still available to us today, and so don't miss it, but enter into that rest. Strive to enter into that rest, and that's our title for today's sermon, Strive to Rest. And so today, I want to share with you a little bit of how God spoke to me in this passage, and um, I want to share with you the treasure I found, that there is a real rest for the people of God And so I'm going to ask today, number one, what is this rest? Number two, hear the call to strive to rest. And then finally, how to strive to rest. I really want to give you a very practical step-by-step way to obtain this rest at the end of today's sermon. And I want to share with you uh, why this passage was so uh, amazing for me. And I think it really has something for you. So let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord for help. Father, we just come to you because we know that you have divine peace and shalom in your hand, and we need it. So we make ourselves open to you. Help us not to harden our heart right now, because it's available to us. And so, Father, speak now, for your servants are waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So what is this rest? Um, As you heard, the author of Hebrews is urging the Hebrew Christians here that they ought not to miss this rest that their ancestors missed. That's the urgency there. Because for the people who are receiving this letter, they actually have an ancestral history where their family members from a long time ago did not enter the promised land, the rest of God, and their bodies were strewn all over the wilderness because they could not get into the promised land their version of rest. And so he's warning them, remember, your ancestors missed the rest in the wilderness, and I don't want you to miss the rest. And he's saying to them that you are actually in the exact same position as your ancestors. Just as they were traversing the wilderness and traveling towards rest and missed it because of their unbelief, you also can be heading towards rest and miss it because of your unbelief. And he uses the wilderness as his experience in this illustration to show them that rest is available to you. It's within your grasp 
But if you don't believe, if you have unbelief, then you can actually miss the thing that is available to you. Now, we have to kind of unpack what this rest is, and I want to show you why he uses this uh, illustration of the wilderness. And it's really profound, because if you think about it, this wilderness is this weird middle period in their salvation story, in their traversing out of uh, Egypt into the promised land. The wilderness is this weird in-between period because they were saved from Egypt by his mighty, gracious, merciful hand. They were saved. Hallelujah. And they were promised this land of milk and honey where they would receive the rest of God. But they spent their lives in this middle period, in this wilderness, not actually experiencing the fullness of what God promised them. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you are actually in the exact same position. Some of us, brothers and sisters, have been saved because we know the gospel And yet, our lives, we lack the experience of God's rest. You know, um, they asked Moses in unbelief, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And they asked that in unbelief, right? But it's kind of a valid question, if you think about it. Is this the plan (laughs) that you brought us out of Egypt to suffer in the wilderness? Is this what God had intended was this the plan? Because it doesn't, sure doesn't seem like a good one. The experience of salvation, it doesn't match up with what you told us was going to be the experience of salvation. And so they ask him, is this the plan? Did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us here in the wilderness? And that wasn't the plan at all. The plan was for them to come into the promised land and experience the fullness of what God had promised them. But because of their unbelief, they hit a wall and they could not enter. And they spent their lives in this wilderness, lacking the power of salvation, even though they were saved. Did you hear what I said? Lacking the power of salvation, even though they were saved. They were saved from Egypt, brought out by his merciful hand. That was their gospel story. And yet they lived in this wilderness period, suffering, lacking power. My brothers and sisters, is that the story of your faith? Is that your experience of Christianity? You know enough to be saved, but you are not actually experiencing the power of his salvation. And we have to be careful here as we look at this illustration. As some have, people have said that what the author of Hebrews is warning the Hebrew Christians about is losing their salvation. That not entering the promised land is tantamount to them not getting saved at all. Now, I think that there's some elements of this warning in Hebrews 4. But when you look, look at the illustration... They were saved from Egypt by his merciful and mighty hand, but they are not in the promised land. I don't think that this illustration is is saying that they're going to miss out on salvation or they're going to lose their salvation and therefore strive to obtain Christ. I think there are certain elements of that warning there, but primarily what he is warning them against is this drab, colorless, powerless Christianity where you know enough that you're saved from hell, but you don't have an experience of the power of salvation. That's what wilderness is. Is that what your Christianity feels like? Because that's exactly what they're warning them against. You see, it's a little bit more nuanced, right, than just warning them against losing their salvation. Now, I want to point you to a word that points us to this. Go to verse 1 again. This is what he said. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Now, how often do you hear that in the Bible? You often hear in the Bible, do not fear. But here he says, let us fear lest, and this is a warning. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And I want to focus on that word seem. That's what he's warning you against. This word seem is the word doku or doke. It means look like or you know, seem like, appear like, suppose that it is like, but it's not really that. Let me explain what it means. Uh, sometimes you have friends who are a young guy and a young girl, and they say they're just friends, right? But in their friend group, all the friends who are around them, they feel like they say they're just friends, but it doesn't seem like they're just friends. It seems like they like each other. It seems like there's more there than just friends, right? And uh, you ask, dude, do you like her? And he says, no, 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 we're just friends. And his friends say what? Because it sure seems like there's more there, right? It appears like. And he's saying, no, but you're saying, but the truth and the reality don't seem to line up. Or a woman is part of a women's Bible study, and she says that her husband treats her well. But every time they hang out with him, and they see husband and wife together, he treats her with a mean-spirited kind of approach. Mean-spirited words, bitterness, scathing words. And the women of her Bible study say, is everything okay at home? She says, yeah, yeah, he's so great, he's so great. Because it sure doesn't seem like things are okay. You see, he's saying, let us fear lest we are saved, but the experience of our Christian life does not seem at all like you are saved. You say, I am saved, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, but you are just as anxious and as fearful as anybody else on earth. Let us fear lest we seem to have failed to reach rest. The experience of the power of salvation. Is that where you live in your Christian faith? My brothers and sisters, it is so important for us to understand because um, I've talked to a lot of people who grew up in the church and have learned enough about the tenets of Christianity to be saved from Egypt but lack the ability to live in their faith to actually experience Canaan. You know what I mean? There's so much access to church in Bergen County that you have access to the tenets of salvation and you grew up in youth group or maybe you went to church as a young person and you received the tenets of salvation enough to get out of Egypt, but you don't know how to live out your faith enough to experience the promised land. Until that happens for so long that faith doesn't even really seem that important to you because you don't experience, tacitly experience in your life the power of salvation until you have kids and you want your kids to experience and you want to give them the tenets of salvation. And so you come back to church after you have kids so that your kids could go to youth group so they could get out of Egypt. But then your kids don't have the experience of the power of God either. It's very hard to pass on something that you don't have living experience of. Very hard to pass on something that you don't have experience of in your life. How many generations did it take the Israelites? How many generations will it take us until we stop doing that? The experience of salvation. A powerless Christianity is a very sad thing. It's a sad thing 
for a Christian who believes just enough to know what he's saved from, but he doesn't know what he's saved to. You know, it's kind of a sad thing. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that's the saddest Christian on earth. is a person who knows just enough to get saved from, but doesn't have the experience of what he's saved to. A Christian who's racked with guilt all the time and you don't know about what. Frantically working to insulate yourself because you feel like you have no protection from God Almighty. Saved enough, but living a frantic faith life of concern. Lloyd-Jones says that's the saddest Christian I've ever seen. Read verse 2, he says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Now, you could say that that means that the message that they received didn't save them, but I think it's talking about more than that. It did not give them the experience of salvation. You see, the Christian will always be miserable when she believes that she has salvation for heaven, but not power for earth. And that's what I believe the author of Hebrews is warning us against. Let us fear that we do not miss the rest, miss the power of salvation in this world. Richard Phillips explains what this power is that we are to experience. He says this, salvation rests is living in God's presence, feeling the warmth of his love, trusting the strength of his hands to hold us up forever. Living in God's presence, feeling the warmth of his love, trusting the strength of his hands to hold us up. That is the experiential rest that the author of Hebrews says, let us not miss that and look like in this world we're not saved. Emotionally experience Christ in a way where we're living frantic lives. There is a divine rest available to you, he says. There is a divine rest available to you. Let us fear that we do not miss it. And I think that many of us would hear that and say, sure, I want that. Sure, I want that. But he never gave it to me. He's never given it to me. And the author of Hebrews says, let us, brothers and sisters, strive to enter that rest. That's the key. We need to strive to enter that rest. Read verse 11 with me. This is what he says. Let us therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? It seems like it doesn't make sense. He's essentially saying, don't rest until you enter the rest, right? Strive to enter the rest. Try to enter the rest. And this is the call here, that if we don't hear that call, then we won't experience the rest that he has given to us. Think about the promised land. When the Israelites entered in, did they just kind of receive the rest like a warm blanket from God? No, they had to fight a fight of faith to actualize the promised land in their life. Joshua had to actually conquer to bring forth the promise that was given to him. And every fight that they fought was a fight of faith. He had to believe that even though they were outmanned and outgunned, that they actually had to move forward in faith. And to the degree that they believed God, they experienced rest. And to the degree that they didn't, they experienced frantic defeat. And so we as well, the author of Hebrews says, if you want to enter into this rest, then you must strive to enter the rest. You must battle unbelief. Unbelief. And that's so key. Because that is the thing that is keeping us from rest. That's what the point of this whole wilderness illustration is about. 
He's explaining to us that the thing that keeps us from rest, that keeps us within anxiety, is unbelief. That underneath every anxiety in your life, that there's an unbelief. Underneath every anxiety in your life is an unbelief. You see, it's not just that you are greedy. It's not just that you're envious. It is that you have an unbelief about money. Some sort of unbelief about money that's making you greedy. It's not just that you're selfish. It's just that you have some sort of unbelief about your time. And it's making you impatient and judgmental with people. It's not that you're just a people pleaser. It's just that underneath your people pleasing, you have some sort of unbelief about God's acceptance of who you are. There's an unbelief underneath. And the author of Hebrews says, we need to strive to battle unbelief in order to obtain this rest. We need to strive and work towards it. And before I get into the practicals of that, um, I want to say something about um, temperament. You know, some of you are more genetically predisposed to anxiety. Some of you are even physiologically more predisposed towards anxiety. Okay, I wonder if I am as well. I've talked to counselors about that. But that does not free you from the battle to obtain this rest, the spiritual battle to obtain this rest. And I want to tell you that counseling does help. I've been in counseling for it. Counseling does help. For some of you, medication may help, may help you. It's not evil. It's not wrong. But those are just aids on the way, helps in your battle to obtain spiritual rest. There is an unbelief that you do need to deal with, that you need to strive for every day. You know, John Piper is a pastor that many of you know. John Piper said this because he has kind of that predisposition towards anxiety. And he said this. He said, I've said to my church 50 times that I need to get saved every morning. The issue is not whether we deal with anxiety every day, but how we deal with anxiety every day. Now, when a pastor like John Piper says, I have to get saved every morning, that's very controversial, right? So is he saying, I get saved in the morning and then I get damned at night? Or I get saved in the morning and then I lose the salvation? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am saved. But entering into the experience of having salvation, I lose that every day. And every morning, I have to put myself at Jesus' feet and regain that experience of being saved, the trust of his strength, the warmth of his love, the presence of his kindness. I have to get back into that every single day. He says, I got to get saved every day. I resonate with that so much that, you know, there are many days by the end of the day that you're basically in your heart, in your emotions, in your thinking, are an unbeliever. He has to get saved every day. How we respond and come into the experience of salvation is so key. And the author of Hebrews says, let us not miss that like the wilderness generation missed the promised land. It is available to you, but you must strive to achieve it. You must strive to achieve it. And today I want to be really practical with you and give you five Five steps to do this, and um, hopefully I could be quick with this, but I, I think this will really help. How to enter rest, how to strive to enter the rest. Number one, don't let anxiety loiter. Don't let anxiety loiter. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we used to loiter in front of Wawa every day. 
because uh, we had nothing to do. And we had no money. We had no place to go. Uh, we didn't have a car. And so we used to just loiter in front of Wawa. You just got Wawa here not that long ago. But in Pennsylvania, we used to have Wawa when I was a kid. And we used to just loiter there with no purpose. And we used to just stand outside of Wawa and do nothing. Anxiety likes to loiter in your life. It's paralyzing. And it wants to stay with you. And anxiety likes to loiter and paralyze you and not let you do anything else. And you have to be aware that you cannot let anxiety loiter in your life. You see, the emphasis of today's passage is this word today. Read verse 7 with me again. He says, again, he appoints a certain day for this rest. Today, today. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What he's saying is you have to enter into that today. This is the annoying thing about rest, is you cannot stockpile rest for future anxiety. That would be great, right? If we could get so much rest stockpiled, divine rest and trust today, that we could stockpile it for tomorrow's concerns. You can't do that, though. You can only obtain the rest for the anxiety that you have that day. Today, you have to enter the rest. You must go urgently today. It's available to you, but it's like manna. You have to go get it every single day. Pursue it. This Monday morning, I woke up with unusually more anxiety than other days. Sometimes I have days like that. It's one of those paralyzing days when I have those worry uh, wrought mornings. And um, I really didn't want to do my quiet time. Honestly, I didn't want to do my devotions. And I came down to my office and I didn't want to, but I was preaching on this. And so it was just kind of in my mind, today you have to go. And I said, fine, I have to go. So I went down to my office and um, I started to do my quiet time and the passage that God gave me. And I'm filled with anxiety and I'm thinking, man, God has something for me today, right? He has something for me today, he just told me. And I opened the passage, and it was about when Jesus went into Jerusalem, and he told his disciples to go get a donkey. He said, go get this donkey. It's going to be right here. I'm going to tell you exactly where it is, exactly when to go get it, and tell them the master has need of it. And that was my passage. And I was thinking, what does this have to do with anxiety? You know, what does this have to help me? And I just felt like he didn't help me today. I guess I'll just wait till tomorrow. Because he didn't have anything for me. And I was about to get up and do my work. But there's something about this sermon that I was about to preach today. I was thinking, man, maybe I just, just need to spend more time with it. And I thought about it and I thought about it. Oh, what the donkey? You gave me a donkey on this day that I have so much anxiety? I don't get it. And as I prayed, uh, slowly the Lord began to tell me, Dave, if on the way to the cross, I knew exactly where a donkey was. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly what you're experiencing. I know exactly where your heart is. Do not fear. If I knew where a donkey was, I surely know where you are today. And I just went to the Lord and I said, be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. As he said to me, you're right on track. You're right in my hands. And I prayed, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Be still, my soul, and know that he is God. Pursue rest today.
Sometimes it's not an easy process. But pursue rest. He has rest for you today. Don't let anxiety loiter in your life, but pursue rest now. Second thing is you have to, as you pursue rest, you have to identify what the unbelief is. You see, the thing that's hard about worry sometimes is it's this vague kind of feeling that you're worried about something, but sometimes you don't even know what it is. It's just like in your gut. Like, oh, maybe it's because I didn't call my mom in a long time and I feel bad about that. Maybe I'm worried about the upcoming quarter at work. Maybe it's a fear of what's going to happen to my children. And it's just like this vague ball of worry. And you can't do anything with that. You can't take that to the Lord specifically. What we need to do is we need to get underneath the anxiety and identify what the unbelief is. And we need to start naming our demons. We need to start saying, I know your name and identifying them. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians, it says, take every cap- thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's very hard to do if you don't know what the thought is. It's very hard to do when you don't know what the unbelief is. But under every anxiety, there is an unbelief that you have to name and capture, and it's going to take some work from you to strive to identify what the unbelief is. Are you worried about work? Why? What's the unbelief underneath it? Maybe it's unbelief that you do not believe when he said, look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers of the field. If I take care of them, will I not much more take care of you, O you of little faith? And maybe you have an unbelief that says, you're not going to take care of me. Is it a family thing? What is the unbelief underneath your worry about family? What's underneath your anxieties about your marriage? You see, when we can identify the unbelief, we can now move on to the next step, which is we could take our unbelief and we could bring it to God. And we could pit it next to God. And this is the third thing we need to do. Once we identify what our unbelief is, the great thing about that is we could bring it to God. We could put it next to God, and the Spirit will show us how small it is in comparison to your Almighty God. And you will see just how small it is once you figure out what the unbelief is and put it next to God, and you bring it from darkness to night to light. And once you do that, you can start to speak to your soul. If he is for us, who can be against us? Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Identify what your unbelief is and bring it to the Lord. And then speak to your soul. You know, a lot of us spend a lot of time listening to our heart, listening to the worry and the palpitations of our heart, but we don't spend a lot of time speaking to our heart. But that's what we need to do. We need to speak, be still, my soul. Be still, my soul. If he knew where a donkey was, he knows exactly where you are. Bring it to the Lord. Fourthly, bring it to the saints. You know, anxiety really isolates us. Remember I told you at the beginning that sometimes I have a hard time sharing because I think, oh my gosh, maybe they feel like, they'll feel like I'm a faithless pastor, you know? Stuff like that happens to you too. And if you're an older, okay, I'll pick on you guys. If you're an older Asian guy in this room, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for you. But there's something in this passage that I want to show you. Read verse 2 with me again. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
You know what that means? They didn't, remember they sent spies into the promised land? And then there were people who said that we can't go in there. It's scary. And then there are people who said, yes, we can. God can show up. They were not united by faith to those who had faith. There needed to be a union with those who were faithless and those who had faith. You see, he brings this to the level of community. And he says that if they were connected, then the faithless could have been helped and benefited by those who had faith. I know it's, it's scary and maybe sometimes feels unnatural to share what you're worried about. But we need to come into community and share these things with one another. I don't know how many times I've just shared something with somebody and it's helped me such, so much. But before you share, you're like, what are they going to help me with? How can they even help me with this? But it's not about that, brothers and sisters. There's a spiritual union that happens when two or more are gathered and Jesus is there with them. United to faith. We need to bring it to the saints. In your community groups, in your Christian relationships, you need to bring this out of darkness into the light. And then lastly, declare songs of deliverance. And I know this sounds kind of out there, but you know, the biggest step forward in my devotional life has come from singing, physically singing during my quiet times. My quiet times are not that quiet anymore because I'm singing now every day. But it's, it's, it's done so much for my soul. Because you see, when we sing songs, they are songs of victory and deliverance. And this is so important when you live racked with anxiety. Because you need to declare to yourself that God is victorious. Let me show you another reason why this is so important. You know, our anxieties oftentimes are not about what's actually happening, but it's the dread of things that are about to happen. Right? Blake Lawson, I want to read you a quote from one of the um, articles I read this week. He said this, Most of our lives are spent not actually fighting our enemies, but only the dread of them. Often our deepest anxieties are not over something in the past or even something in the present, but something in the future. The idea of what might happen, something hypothetical in our mind, that's how Satan strips us of our daily bread. Let me show you what that means. You are worried about things that could possibly happen because Satan leverages future uncertainty, brings it to you in the present, and makes you worry now about things that could happen in the future. He leverages potential uncertainty in the future. He leverages that to you today to get you to worry today. But you know what singing songs of deliverance does? It's a spiritual counterattack to that because we leverage the future fulfillment of God's promises today and we sing about his victories and the fulfillment of his promises today that has not happened yet. And we counteract worry we declare his victory. Things that will come in the future, we bring it to the present and we say, be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Be still, my soul, and know that he is God. We declare it in the present. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, when you come to the Lord with your concerns, sing songs of deliverance. They will help you. Go on YouTube, look up the songs, put it on, and sing songs of deliverance. Hide me now in the shadow of your wing. Cover me within your mighty hands. Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power. Know his power in quietness and trust. 
find rest my soul. It will go a long way to bringing deliverance to you that day. And as we close, I just want to share you one snapshot from the cross. On the final minutes of Jesus' life, on the cross there were two thieves, one at his right and one at his left, and one of the thieves said, if you are the Christ, help me to escape from here. You know, a lot of you, when you worry, you just turn to escape, right? Whether it's Netflix or whether it's drinking or whatever it is. We often just look for escape. And the thief said, if you are the Christ, help me to escape. But there was another thief who looked at Jesus and saw that there was something deeper that needed to be addressed. That it wasn't just escaping the cross, but he saw that Jesus was the way, the life, the forgiveness, the peace that he didn't have. And he recognized that there was something deeper, broken, that even if he got off that cross, he would still have to deal with. He begins to think about his life. He begins to think about his eternity. And the turmoil he realizes is deeper than just dying. Turmoil is, what about my eternity? What about my rest? And at that time, uh, the thief makes a Hail Mary prayer, turns to Jesus, strives to get this rest, and throws up a Hail Mary, and he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A Hail Mary prayer, if I've ever heard one, strives towards Jesus because he realizes there's brokenness in his life. And Jesus turns to him and he gives him far more than he could imagine because he answers not only his prayer, but he brings the answer to his prayer into the present day. What does he say? He doesn't say, you will be with me in paradise. He says, today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. He brings the future promise so that this thief could experience it on the cross, the rest that was coming to him. He siphons it into the present as he's suffering on a cross and gives peace to his soul for the moment. The actual experience of rest today. My brothers and sisters, that's exactly what he wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for me. He wants to bring the experience of salvation to you now. And so if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts in unbelief, um, but experience that rest that he has for you. I pray that for you and I pray that for me, that we not get lost in the wilderness, but we experience the rest he has for us. Let's go to him in prayer together.